Well, welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast for today, 30th of October. And today's the last of our series looking at the nature of time. And the topic for today is the fullness of time. And we start with a poem. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention. How to fall down into the grass. How to kneel down in the grass. How to be idle and blessed. How to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Well, I'd like to welcome you all watching on the live stream. It's good to have uh, you with us. Um, today, the subject is the fullness of time. The fullness of time. And this is the last of our whole series that we've had on time over the last five weeks. And we began right at the beginning by looking at the idea of sacred time. The idea that everything in our life is relevant to our development. We think of it as good or bad, but the real question is the one that Mary Oliver puts at the end of that poem. Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? It includes everything, all things that happen to us. And as a a way of, of looking at it, we've used William Blake's proverb over the last three weeks, um, in seed time learn, in harvest teach, and in winter enjoy. In seed time learn, in harvest teach, and in winter enjoy. And the idea that all our seeding, harvesting, and wintering, all our learning, teaching, and enjoying really takes place in the moment we call the present. We're looking at at the nature of time, but everything really takes place here. You know, you've never lived in the past. You can never live in the future. It's all taking place in the present. That in fact, although we have the illusion of time passing, and I had a conversation with my son Samuel today about this, we have an illusion of time passing. Really, time is passing through us. Our consciousness is always present. Our consciousness is always in this moment now. And like a, like a surfer on a surfboard, we're, we are still in that present. And the changes we see around us, the things that we see changing, we experience that as time. 
when in reality we are always here in the present, you're going nowhere. You're always going to be here in that present. And so to finish the series, I want to look at the fullness of time. When you say something happens in the fullness of time, you really mean that it'll happen if you wait long enough. You know, he'll come to his senses and realize that I'm right in the fullness of time. When all's said and done, that, that's the, the way the, the expression is used. But I, I like the phrase because I think it has implications of the flowering of time. The idea that time itself can mature and come to a fullness. Now, it's not yet Advent, um, and we're going to have a big Advent Sunday service, but, and that's the time just before Christmas when we look forward to Christmas. But this, what we're going to talk about today, is really an Advent conversation. It, the word Advent comes from two Latin words, advenere, which means to come to or to arrive. Advent is about arriving. And traditionally in Advent, we look forward to the arrival of Christ in, at Christmas. That, that's the first thing. And we also, in Advent, look forward to the arrival of the completion of time, which is the second coming. We look forward to the arrival of the completion of time. And I talked a little bit about that last week. And this idea of the fullness of time covers both these ideas. It covers the personal coming of Christ into our lives, the arrival of ourselves into consciousness. And for me, the arrival of Christ in our lives is the arrival of taking responsibility for our relationship with God, really. And so it's that moment of arrival and the arrival of the greater fullness of time. The realization, the arrival of, the, of Christ coming into our lives is the realization that we have two natures, both human and divine, and the end of time is really the fulfillment of creation. So we're going to talk about these sorts of ideas, these two ideas of our own arrival into the present and the whole of the world's arrival into the present. And on the personal level, there is the journey of unfolding realization, of, unfo- of coming to consciousness, of, of realizing the implications of who we are and what we're doing. We are born and formed. Richard Raw, who was here a few weeks ago, has the idea that in the first half of life, we build the container of who we are, which is really important. We build the container. And then in the second half of life, we get to see what we put inside that container that we built. And at some point, we have to realize, in a sense, that we have to give up. We have to realize that we have nothing to learn from more success, of more building ourselves up. But actually, what we have to do is to realize our understanding, our consciousness, our our development, and take responsibility for our relationship with life and life as it goes on around us. To take responsibility for our suffering and transform that suffering rather than project it out. So there's this whole personal journey that we go through over the period of our lives. We have to take responsibility for our connection with creation, to allow love to arise within us. And it is love that unifies us with all that's around us. We have to become mystics in that lovely definition that Evelyn Underhill gave when she said that mysticism is the art 
of union with reality. And there's nothing otherworldly about that. You know, when you talk about mystic spiritual, oh God, you know, this is like some sort of ooji bougie stuff. It's not. We're talking about union with reality. And, and that is, and you get brought up short by your life sometimes. You know, you're forced to be real, you know, when something happens, when someone dies. Or, you, you know, there's no escaping it. But most of the time we drift off into our, into our heads and, and, and let things go and make up ideas about what's going on. But it is the union with reality that we're moving towards. The journey of our own personal fullness of time is the journey towards the realization and this is an important realization when we come to that union with reality we we come to realize that heaven is not some otherworldly place but the world clearly seen it's not some otherworldly place but it is the world clearly seen when we are unified with the nature of reality for for now we see through a glass darkly, then we see face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know even as I am known. And the nows and thens in that passage from Corinthians really all exist in the present moment. And our inner journey in life is to give birth to that realization and really to offer it as a contribution to the world. You know, that's what I always bang on about, is to realize that, that our, our personal process has relevance and to offer that personal process as a contribution to the world. Each of us does have an unfolding consciousness that, that flowers, whether we like it or not, and we know we begin to realize different things about ourselves as we grow up. We, we know we come to a different realization. And that unfolding consciousness, that is the flowering of our lives, And it offers a pollen of transformation to others in the world that they might undertake the similar journey of us and, and, you know, be fertilized by our experience. And that's why our own personal transformation and our own change is relevant. When we flower, as we flower, so others flower in our wake. I always love that, that story of the hundredth monkey. And it is worth repeating because... It sort of gives an idea of how this works. You know, the, the Japanese monkey has been observed in, in the wild for a period of about 30 years, this particular monkey. And in 1952, on an island of Kashima, scientists were providing monkeys with a sweet potato dropped in the sand. And the monkeys liked the raw sweet potato, but they found the dirt unpleasant. An 18-month-old female named Emo, found she could solve the problem of the unpleasantness by washing the potato in a nearby stream. She taught this trick to her mother. And her playmates also learned this new way, and they taught their mothers too. And this cultural innovation was gradually picked up by various monkeys between 1952 and 1958. All the young monkeys learned to wash the sandy sweet potatoes to make them more pliable, palatable. Only the adults who imitated their children learnt this social improvement. Other adults kept eating the dirty sweet potatoes. Then something startling took place. In the autumn of 1958, a certain number of these Kashima monkeys were washing sweet potatoes. The exact number is not known. Let's suppose that when the sun rose, there were 99. 
And let's further suppose that later on that morning, the hundredth monkey learnt to wash the potatoes. And at that moment, it happened. By the evening, all the monkeys were washing sweet potatoes before eating them, whether or not they had children that were doing it. Something changed in the consciousness of those monkeys. And that is how the process of transformation happens in the world. It is by each of us individually taking on our own personal transformation in love that moves that consciousness little by little in the world. And that is the movement towards a fullness of time. We're like those monkeys as we move into the fullness of our own time. And what we do is like a monkey washing a sweet potato. In the end, everyone will learn. And the little bit that we do does have relevance. And that's how we participate. That's how individually we participate in the transformation of consciousness, in the spreading of love, and arrive at our fullness of time. So that's on the sort of individual level. But I also think this whole thing works on a macro level. You know, the whole fullness of time thing works on the level of, you know, the whole of the cosmos. You know, from the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago, to the universe, to life, to the universe conscious of itself, which is us, to the universe conscious of itself and the divine within itself. In other words, the universe conscious of the divine within, of our relationship with God, of our, our relationship in being part of that. All that process is the universe, I think, being drawn to a greater consciousness through the inherent love within the system, drawing everything to itself. So what creates this is an inherent love that we know is there, if we look into our lives, within the system that is always drawing everything forward towards itself. That drawing forward in love is the process of creation, of love drawing us out of ourselves, atom by atom, into union with itself union with the reality I was talking about. And that process is undertaken by evolution. That is, the, that is the process of evolution. It is the evolution of consciousness. A greater complexity in all things coming together, like atoms and minerals and life, all within our bodies, framing the whole, which is a human being, which is a simple thing for us to understand, but is hugely complicated, simple in appearance, but with immense complications in its structure. And evolution is going towards that, that greater complexity, bringing unity and wholeness. Like the unity and wholeness demonstrated by television and media and the internet, a hugely complex system, bringing things together in a simple whole. That is the process of evolution. That is, that is how it's working out. And so in the fullness of time, these two processes come together, the individual processes, which we are, like atoms, we are part of that, bringing that expression of love, coming together the personal and the cosmic. And evolution occurs as the rise in consciousness, insofar as life awakens from unconscious matter to self-conscious matter. That is the process of evolution, the awakening. T.R. Deschardins says that there is a fundamental energy at the heart of evolution, that has two dimensions. The energy he associates with individual consciousness and the energy 
That's the energy within. And the energy without, which he associates, he associates with the, tangent, the tangential energy of love, which is drawing everything out. And evolution is the process of deepening love and consciousness. That is, as love deepens, consciousness arises. As love deepens, consciousness arises. And he spoke of love as the very definition of existence. Love as the definition of existence. And, you know, we know that. You know, God is love. Being is love. God as being is love. You know, we know that in our lives. To be is to be with in such a way that I am is what I love. I am is what I love. And what I love shapes what I do, and what I do is what I become. So love enables us to become. And these two processes, the in and the outer, come together, being drawn to what some call the omega point. And I'm I'm just drawing a big picture here about the fullness of time. You know, some people, Tiyadashar, refer to this as the omega point. If the alpha point is the Big Bang creation, beginning, the omega point is that moment of full consciousness with all things, with the divine, when all of this and the divine are conscious of themselves as one. And that's really what we call the second coming. That is the moment of all consciousness. It's at that moment when through the consciousness that's love, and I love this, this phrase, Tiyadashada came up with this, we are not looking at one another, but we are all looking in the same direction. We are not looking at one another, but we are all looking in the same direction. And you just have to get that, that idea of looking into eternity. We are all looking into eternity. That coming together of all things is an advent. It's an arrival, a coming back to the place where it all started. And that oneness with the divine, a second coming. And you know, the amazing thing is, that it's all happening right now. It's all happening right now. And it's all happening in this present moment. Now. But because we're not conscious of it, we can't realize it. Because it's not within our consciousness, we can't realize it. You know, those crazy cards that go around saying, the end of the world is coming on such and such a day and such a time. They are right, actually. But they're too crazy to realize that they are right. And, and you have to be completely sane and present and conscious and loving to realize it in that moment. And I'm not talking about parallel universes or anything weird. I'm actually meaning right now. Because right now is the only place it can happen. It, it can't happen anywhere. It can only happen right now. Because right now is the place we're in. But, but we haven't realized it. And we, we probably will, as I said last week, at our deaths. Yeah, that's the moment where we'll get it. Because that's another way we experience the fullness of time. People talk about their lives running, you know, seeing their lives. But it, it is that moment of an experience of the fullness of time. But much better to get it now, but we don't. And why don't we? You say, oh, why don't I get this? You know, why can't I get this whole thing? Because we're not ready. 
Because the game isn't over. Because, and this is the bit to really get, because we are part of something that is 13.7 billion years old, and we're part of a known universe that is 28 gigaparsecs large. Now, a gigaparsec, that is 30, that is 93 billion light years in diameter. We are part of something that is 93 billion light years in diameter. And here we are thinking that we can work it all out. (laughs) I mean, really, how arrogant are we? How in our heads are we to think that we can work it all out? You know, we can't. And it's not our job to. And you see, I've been spouting on for about half an hour now. And you know, the truth is, I haven't got a clue. (laughs) It's all made up. And not, not just by me, by other people. You know, they've made it up. And I don't really, you know, I don't really know what it's all about. And I don't know what happens when I die. And I didn't even really know why I'm here. It's all guesswork. And it's always ever been guesswork. You know, the Bible is just the best guess inspired by God that we've had over the centuries. You know, it is guesswork. Even scientists are dealing in best guess scenarios. They just try to find out what works and then give the best explanation they can come up with as to why it works. You know, Newton's guesses, great that they were, were very different from Einstein's. And, you know, we move on with our guesses as we do in religion. You know, the guesses of the Old Testament as to why God was, you know, doing what he did and and how it happened were very different from the guesses of the New Testament. And the guesses of the New Testament are very different, actually, with our guesses now, with quantum mechanics and Wayne Dyer and everything. You know, we're all just coming up with different guesses as to why it is. How can we live more skillfully? That really is the purpose of religion. You know, how can we live more appropriately? You know, it's not, you know, why it happens, we can only guess at. Is it because we're covered in the blood of Christ? Is it because we are flowing with the towel? Is it because we can understand the sound of one hand clapping? You know, that's our guesswork. Worse, it's all made up guesswork because the truth is it's not up to us to know. You just have to read Job. It really, you know, where were you when I created the, I can't remember the exact words, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's what Joe, that's what God it's not up to us to know, but we always desperately want to know. I've always said that trying to understand the divine God is like a fish trying to understand what a cash register is. <laughs> there are so many leaps of fish, you know, in the has to get out of the ocean and, you know, oh, air, yes. And it has to get legs and go off. and go, Oh, yes, legs. And it has to then, oh, people, right, yes. And currency exchange and, and money and shops. And yes, I need a cash register to be able to take. I mean, it is miles away. And really, that is the truth with us. It is actually the truth. 
us trying to understand, there's a, you know, great theologian, I can't remember which one, said that the word God should be banned for 50 years because we really don't know what we're talking about. And yet we, yet we think we do. We think we know what we're talking about. You know, we don't have the capacity really to know. We're not conscious enough yet. We're not conscious enough. And so given that this is the fullness of time right now, and I tell you, this is the fullness of time right now. This is the fullness of time. Given that situation, the question to ask then is, what do we have the capacity to do right now? Given we really, if we can get it, we don't, can't understand God. What, what do we have the capacity for right now? Because that's the thing to realize, isn't it? What can we do? And what can we know? And how can we respond to what we know? And that will give us a, a pointer as to where we should be. Well, I know you're all grown, but it, it all comes back to my Streckart again. You know, we, we have to know that spiritually, we want for nothing. Spiritually, we do live in the fullness of Christ. Spiritually, we live in the fullness of the Tower. Spiritually, you know, we are fundamentally present. We want for nothing. We are alive. We are conscious. We are capable of receiving all that the divine has to offer. We have that capability. And if we want for nothing, then spiritually, you know, if we want, if we are, have everything we need spiritually, there is nothing we need to change. You know, our will won't make us any more conscious. We just have to be with that willingness to receive from the divine. We just need to be with what comes our way, to know that God comes to us in the circumstances of our lives and respond to, to God as deeply as we possibly can, measuring that, as I said the last week, with our capacity for joy. If you want to measure your relationship with God, it's your capacity for joy. That measures your relationship with God. Some of us go, hmm, help. But, you know, it is. It's our capacity for joy. And at la- you know, the last thing is, you know, we really have to be willing to not know. Most of us aren't. We want to know everything, but we have to be willing to not know. You know, there's three things Maestro Eckhart says, you know, wanting for nothing, willing nothing, and knowing nothing. That is the place we can be. We have to give up trying to work it out, what's going on, and let go into last, the lasting joy of just being. It's a good title for a book, that, isn't it? The lasting joy of just being. But that is it, the lasting joy of just being. That quote from Shakespeare, what's done is done. The joy is in the doing. That is life. And so we're in the fullness of time in this present moment. Heaven and earth come together in us with the appearance of what we see as time. Heaven and earth come together in us with the appearance of what we see of time. But in actuality, it is just the nature of our being. Time is the nature of our being. We want to know why. We want to know what's next, but it's not our nature to, in our nature to know that. Our nature is not made to know. Our nature is made to love. Our nature is not made to know. It's made to love. That is the tool we're given to participate in the process of evolution, to love, to take pain and give out love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting that, you know, that is the Two great commandments. That, that is what we're given to do. Like fish, you swim in the sea. We swim in love. We swim in love. We're given that love. And it is given to us to know that love. 
But like fish, not knowing the height or the length or the breadth of the sea, we're not given to know the height or the length or the breadth of the divine. We just swim in it. We sense the currents. We participate with it. It feeds us. It gives us life. And maybe that's enough. You know, we're not given to know more. So in that lovely phrase, for the time being. So for the time being, for the time being, know that you are living in the fullness of time right now. You are living in the fullness of time. And that, that all is fundamentally, you know, all is fundamentally right with the universe. That's a good thing to get. That all is fundamentally right with the universe. And that you can be part of that rightness if you just let go and let be. That is the nature of the fullness of time, to let go and let be. And in the end, all will be well. And all manner of things will be well. And we will achieve eternal life, as Julian of Norwich said. Who made the world? Who made the swan, the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth, up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous complicated eyes. Now she shifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what prayer is. I don't know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass. I do know that how to kneel down on the grass. I know how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everyone die at last and and too soon? Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Let's pray. And as we, we do know how to open ourselves to that divine in prayer, to, to rest in our hearts, and we, we have three people really we need to be thinking about, particularly today, in our prayers. First of all, Paul Mayer, who's been in hospital undergoing surgery and really, him and Christian going through a very difficult time at the moment. And um, found, they found a mass in his, uh, in his insides, and they're dealing with that. We do pray for Paul and Christian, that you bless them. And I know that all Paul's friends are going to get together just in their own places and think about him at 1.15 today. So if you are just wanting to do that at 1.15, just to think about Paul and Kristen and, and what they're going through at the moment. And they're at home right now, I think. We also pray for Scott McCracken, a real friend of ours here who's had a bicycle accident, and him and Marissa are in Denver. His son's flown over. He's, he's getting better, but Lord, we just do pray for Marissa and Scott that you will bless them and give them all that they need. Pray your healing power on them. Also pray for Nicole DeWolf's relative, Catherine Malarkey-Myers, who is suffering a brain tumour at the moment. And we just pray for her, that you will bless that family and look after them.
pray for Charisse, for Valbrit Carberg, for Elise Strickland, getting better at the moment, for Maureen Hirsch and Tom, for Will Welsh, for Barbara Orcutt and Patricia Hill. Lord, we do pray that you enable us to participate in the work of love in all the areas that we are involved in, the people that we meet in our work, that us loving in that moment is all that we can do and that you'll show us how to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.